I'm Peter Marks, theater critic of The Washington Post. I'm Terry Teachout, drama critic of The Wall Street Journal. And I'm Elizabeth Vincentelli. I write for The New York Times and The New Yorker. And this is episode 57 of Three on the Isle. Are we sure of that? I, you know... Whatever! It might, it might be episode 77 for all millions I know Millions and point. millions. It's okay. episode millions in dog years of yeah. Three on the Isle. Right. I guess this is for history. It's for it's for the archivists to remember us. And, Absolutely. Okay, sorry. It's for the Library of Congress. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Right. Sorry. Um, a podcast from New York about theater in America and the world. Because now, <laughs> thanks to Zoom Theater, the world is our Zoom oyster. Uh, we are hosted by American Theater Magazine, a publication of the Theater Communications Group. And today... You know, it might be raining and chilly, but it feels just like spring because you know what? The Tony nominations are out and I can barely, the Tony nominations? barely contain my complete disinterest because <laughs> this is just, uh, no, I mean, no. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, I, th- I think we need one of those like sound effects, like the needle like scratches. We're not in spring. We're in October. And the Tonys just announced a nomination. So ah, this is where we are. Well, so in, in, in terms of harbingers of, of some sense of normality, uh, we can also talk today about the tiptoeing that we're doing back towards live performance, which is happening. Uh, the seedlings are planting and some of them are sprouting. Uh, to use a completely inappropriate metaphor. Uh, and um, I have actually been uh, attending some indoor performances, uh, to my, much to my own shock, because three months ago, I would have sworn to you that I would never be uh, uh, find myself in a space wearing a mask watching a show. And listen, um, six months ago, you were like, theater online, why I never... You know, so <laughs> well, well, I also th- I, I have some feelings about, you know, f- still a theater online. And certainly I, I do feel interactive pieces are taking hold in an interesting way. But but yeah, I, I it was funny to me, too, to find that I could um, I could absolutely tolerate not only an hour in a, a live space, but uh, indoor space. But uh, I did two hours and 40 minutes uh, with an intermission in a live space. And I think part of it is, you know, I, I do think that um, the tiptoeing back before that of getting on subways, of eating outdoors at, in, in, at restaurants, you know, of beginning to re-establish uh, 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 links with other human beings made it possible for me to to uh, think about going indoors. I went to the Kennedy Center uh, for a live performance of, of a cabaret show by Vanessa Williams and, uh, and uh, uh, Renee Fleming that they did an hour-long show uh, on the stage of the Opera House for an audience of about 40 people, which was the allowable limit in Washington. And the next day, I traveled to Stanton, Virginia to see Othello, which uh, uh, Terry Teachout so uh, commendably uh, praised and wrote about, uh, uh, having seen it online. I saw it in person. And you know what? You know, it's funny how each thing feeds the, the, the urge to go back to something else regular 
in your life and makes it comfortable for you. I found that the reintroduction was not as as anguishing or anxiety producing as I thought it would be, partly because it was handled so well by these theaters. My was um, it was it moving, Peter? I mean, did you find yes. the first time you got choked up, or uh, I found that some people I was reported very, that. Yeah, I found it very uh, thrilling to be back, certainly sitting on the stage of the Opera House at the Kennedy Center, looking out at the empty seats at like at 2,300 empty red seats uh, made me feel very, uh, I felt the ghosts of audiences past and yet also surrounded by or sort of surrounded by people uh, listening to someone actually singing at you not through a screen, not through a filter, but at to, right directly to you, was was deeply um, uh, um, moving. And at some point, some songs, some Sondheim, some classical pieces, one by Benjamin Britten, uh, some jazzier numbers, all you know the 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 panoply. It, it it took me some some wonderful places, and it made me. All those hungers came right back. All those appetites yeah. that I thought were. I'm sure were it's going to hit me hard the first time I'm in the theater. I have no uh, doubt of it. Do you have any um, trepidations yourselves? Um, uh, Elizabeth and I went to an outdoor performance in Brooklyn together, actually, of something very short mm -hmm. and sort of rudimentary. But I wondered if you guys are, are ready for uh, some socially distanced uh, performance in masks. Uh, I'm not sure that I am. Mm. I mean, I'm really concerned, especially now that we're clearly headed into another peak period for the the the, the pandemic. I'm I, I think whatever notion people have gotten that it's possible to come back is going to shift very quickly as those numbers start to point up again. That's my guess, anyway. I I agree. I think uh, I I just look at Europe and see, for instance, in in France where they just I've put on a curfew in the major cities now for that's going to last at least a month. It starts at 9 p.m. Now, a lot of the theaters and movie theaters were reopened in France, you know, with socially distanced and they don't know what's going to happen. So I, I you know, last week I would or two weeks ago, I would have said, oh, I'm feeling pretty confident. I think I'm ready. Um, but I think also it's uh, with something uh, contagious like this, uh, the sense of responsibility kicks. Like, for instance, my spouse is at risk, uh, is an is an asthmatic, and it's always in the back of my mind. Like, mm -hmm. maybe I would feel comfortable going, and I think I would if I was single, but you've got to think about the people around you. And if I brought something back, like, I would just, I mean, I, I couldn't live with myself, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah, no, it's interesting. Uh, it, uh, those two events and the successfully sort of like um, uh, surmounting whatever fears I had, uh, on those led me to uh, a trip. I took a trip uh, to Colorado for a week, stayed with friends in Aspen, did some biking and, and hiking, which was so restorative. I hadn't taken a, a, a any break in 16 months, I realized. And wow. um, I have not been through anything uh, as traumatizing and anguishing as, as Terry has been through this last year. But I still felt the uh, the pressure, the uh, the uh, uh, on on uh, and the nerves uh, jangling uh, after so many months of working and being confined. And my wife said, "Go." You know, she did. She wasn't ready to fly, but she gave me permission to. And I I say all that because uh, on the way back, uh, Colorado had risen in numbers, and by the time I got back, 
there was a 14-day quarantine order in place for Colorado. When the plane landed at, at LaGuardia, there were two cops waiting for us to check our forms that we had filled out to wow, make sure we serious. had. Not only that, but I just had my second phone call today from the COVID response team, a live person checking up on me, making sure I was still quarantining. This is the mm. second call I've had. And I was, you know, totally um, thankful. I felt gratitude towards her for, for, you know, even checking in, knowing that they're watching, but they're serious about it. So all those things give me confidence. Do you know, I feel like I'm in the, maybe it's false sense of security, but I, it, it has given me a lot of um, fortitude for, for venturing out. I'm not saying I'm ready to sit in a Broadway theater to watch The Music Man yet, <laughs> but, um, or, in, or Six or whatever it is. I don't mean to single out any show. But uh, but I do feel I feel like there are people thinking this through for 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 safety reasons. Peter, do you mean that you're not willing to risk COVID to hear Shapoopy in the theater? <laughs> oh my God! Uh, I, you just, I was uh, you asked for it. You know, you know, <laughs> you asked for it. <laughs> you know, all the good feeling I had from my vacation just drained from my body in a single masterstroke of oh, nastiness. You, it's it's my kryptonite, Terry. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> no you yes. know I, look I, we're all post-traumatic these days everybody mm -hmm. in this country is i mean some of us have had particularly excruciating experiences but everybody has gone through the ringer and is going through it and uh, there's going to come a point when when theater will be f the great catharsis for those of us to whom it matters mm -hmm. and uh Fortunately, we have webcasts of theater that uh, take up a lot of the slack. You know, mm. I'm, I'm seeing them from everywhere. Mm. I am finding out about companies I never even heard of. Mm. And I, tra I traveled a lot, and I thought I knew where all the good theater was. No, surprise. Mm. Um, so it's, if, it's been a learning experience for me. I think we're going to have to make a choice that, I mean, we have to make a, a decision at some point in the fall because of that show that's coming that so far is like the most high profile production. Uh, What's that? It's blindness. The Donmar Warehouse show? Yeah, that's been announced uh, for New York. And, um, well, they have not announced dates yet, but it's meant to come to a major, big off-Broadway to the uh, Daryl Roth Theater, and it's also supposed to go to Washington, D.C. and Toronto now. So we'll have to make a decision. Well, number one, like, is it going to come at all? We, we, yeah. we don't know. But right now they say they want to bring it over. Now, what's striking to me is the most high-profile show to be announced for this fall in New York is a British import from the Donmar Warehouse. And I find this just so weird. Like, we can't come up with our own. It, it's... There, there's something really dispiriting about yeah. this. I, I don't know very, what you guys think about it, but a very unconventional show too. It's a right. What, what, what they call it a sound installation production. Mm -hmm. Well, it's about a world where everyone is blind except one person, right? Right. And there's a pre-recorded narration by by Julia Stevenson. They're right, Julia Stevenson. Right. Um, and so apparently, but it's for a live, you know, socially distant audience. It's kind of conceived for that, okay. and. When I first saw that, part of me was like, oh, I'd love to see that. You know, it's adapted by Simon Stevens from the novel and Donmar Warehouse that does good work. So 
part of me is like, yeah, I'm curious to see that. It's an installation, interesting. And then part of me is just like, why, where are our major nonprofits? Like, what the hell is happening with them? Where are they? What are they doing? I, yeah. This is a real but question. What is going on? As is so often the case, the action is elsewhere, where uh, uh, companies all over the United States are getting shows up online, uh, uh, some of them very conventional fare, some of them highly original and, and apropos fare. But, well, well, I, I don't think it's so. I, I, I would take issue with you, Elizabeth. I, mm-hmm. I first of all, it's a, it's a tour. I mean, it's going to, to several cities. Sure. So, so mounting that is is not easy to do. Number one, and number two, it's a very specific and unusual piece that they are creating. And Simon Stevens has done other shows here in the states um it's it's so i mean the the ingredients don't strike me as as somehow showing up americans no and, no, no that's are... that's that's not what i mean i i really have no issue with the show itself what what i'm wondering is why aren't we seeing any similarly inventive because that sounds pretty inventive initiative from mm-hmm. our big from new york companies like why aren't they doing why aren't they doing like an equivalent of the um, the old Vix in camera well, series, which I, is very successful? Well, I, I do think also you have to I do think that we're behind in thinking, you know, England is a little bit ahead of us, too, in terms of thinking about public assembly again. I think they're very I think American companies have put a lot of their eggs in the digital basket at this point. They, that's where they've put a lot of resources it's hard to think on those two different uh, 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 dimension and those two different dimensions right now. And also, you just don't know what tomorrow, you know, next week the rules are going to be about how many people you right. can let into your space. It's changing. And England, England may well pay the price for this too. True, exactly yeah. right, exactly right. And well, so is actually yeah. the nature of blindness, a sound installation show, makes for a really good segue into a question from out of the mailbag. Uh, we heard a little while ago from Theo Chen, who reminded us that we had mentioned that sound design is often underutilized. And he asked, could you break down what that means? And what are your favorite sound designs of productions you've seen? What makes smart and good sound design? I really know something about that because I've been involved deeply in the sound design of two of my own shows. Uh, I was, in essence, the sound designer for one production. Sound design means two things, and most people don't understand this. It means sound effects. It means anything that you're laying over the show to create a a more naturalistic atmosphere, surrealistic, you know, sounds. The other is music, which is covered by the same term. That really surprised me because I, I thought that that would be called incidental music. But sound designers typically are composers, people like John Gramata, who are both supplying the crickets and also supplying music um and it's a big thing because you can use it in so many different ways Uh, music is one of the most incredibly powerful tools for setting atmosphere Um, it, it, it and if you want to have a totally naturalistic effect sound design is priceless but it can also be disorienting it can also be unnerving. I mean, it's just, mm. uh, it, and it's the part we don't think about, like lighting. We take these things for granted. They're part of the total picture of the show that is coming at us in the seat. And uh, as people often say about film scores, 
if you notice it, there may be something wrong with it because you don't want it to stand out specifically. Mm. So that's a hard, that's a hard Tony category to vote for, for that very reason. Did you remember um, a show a few years ago, Simon McBurney's company Complicite brought the encounter, which oh, yeah. was, did you see where you wore the headphones and it was, right. um, uh, it was almost a complete sort of soundscape. I mean, it was, that was the sort of the lead sort of design element was for me was what you were hearing. And that really, you know, that, that was a, a perfect example of how, you know, theater can really sort of, uh, uh, develop uh, to to the contours of one of its design elements in, in a very that was an uncanny one but he really pays attention to that stuff mm -hmm. i mean he thinks almost like a composer there are there are a few directors who pay i mean i think for me sound design is really like it creates a, a sonic picture and it can be yes it can be music it can be effects but it can also falling under the preview of the sound designer is things like installing the loudspeakers there's very technical like filters that are going through the soundboard. So it right. covers a lot of stuff right. that are very technical. And one of the things that's always struck me, for instance, is how bad the sound quality is. Like it's so on at Broadway musicals, the sound is so muddled and and muffled and, and terrible. And and you can tell there's a few direct there are a few directors who pay very close attention to that. And I think, for instance, uh, uh Des McCannoff, no matter what you think of him pays very, very close attention mm. to that. You can always David spot his Cromer shows. David Cromer does too. David yes. Cromer fussed endlessly over the band's visit. Mm -hmm. And I've seen, I've seen productions. I, the first show of his I ever saw was a production of Picnic in Chicago where sound design was used in the most subtle way possible to make you feel that you were there. And, you know, there are composers of real importance who work in this. Josh Schmidt, best example I can think of, you know, he's, he's written musicals, he's written operas, but he also does just what we call sound design. Mm. And when he works in a show, magic, magic starts to happen. Uh, yeah. Just like Ramada, he's a and I immensely think, I mean, gifted guy. I think it's, it really, it's, it's very illustrative of the way that it's underutilized, as we've said before, that there was this whole kerfuffle about the sound design Tony. Like, I think they got rid of it. And then, I mean, it's, you know, it was just. They, they tried to get rid of it. Well, they did get rid of it. Did they actually yeah. pull it off? Yeah. Yes, there were a couple explosion. of years they didn't give it. I was throwing grenades over that when I was living. Well, it was ridiculous. It was a crazy. It was because people claimed they didn't know how to evaluate, you know, sound <laughs> design. But, you know, I, I think about what you were saying, Elizabeth. Um, th there are some spaces, you know, it's interesting how design has to also uh, follow or, or start with how these spaces were created. Many rock musicals uh, are not really built for um, the theaters in which they play. In Washington, no. for example, a lot of uh, musicals go to the Kennedy go to the Kennedy Center Opera House, and I remember shows like Hair and Matilda uh, in the in that space that you you literally could not hear a single. Lyric well, and they, they won't would... work because houses like that are designed with a resonant time that is not compatible with amplified sound. They want mm -hmm. natural resonance so that when an, a symphony orchestra is playing in there, it gets the the, the warmth that natural resonance provides. They but even... it just fogs everything up when you're amplifying in there. It, the, the only time I've ever known this in my entire career, after I wrote a review of Matilda in the Opera House. 
and said, I, I couldn't hear a, a line. They started handing out the lyrics to the songs to audience members. Can you believe? I mean, that's what they had to do. <laughs> I mean, they they should it, have super titled that show. <laughs> but I, you no, know, I mean, I'm right, not joking. Right, 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 right. It was, it, was the, the, it was very dense lyrics. There's no doubt about it. And the music, you know, but anyway. Well, well I'm uh, wondering if people are going to start, because now there's a golden opportunity with, you know, streaming theater, because a lot of us are not watching theater on headphones. Right. And I think there's a golden opportunity to really like explore that area because now yeah. is the time. You can yeah. do this. Please, I, I'm putting out a call to sound designers listening to us, but please, now is the time to explore that stuff because, yes, we're, we're, I mean, sometimes I watch stuff on my TV and very often I watch a, a, a play on, on headphones now. And boy, mm -hmm. you really, you, you really notice things. Oh, yeah. but mm. hey, we were talking about the Tony, the non Tony. This is like, <laughs> Such a ham-handed segue. The tonettes. The tonettes. <laughs> the tone deaf. Um, we we got to talk about about this. You know, I alluded at the top of the episode that the we are recording this the day after the Tony nominations were announced, and we, we're still reeling because I, for one, think well. First, my first question is why, and the second is why not the lightning, <laughs> the lightning thief, <laughs> and. Okay, don't don't answer that actually. Uh, but no, it's a the first one is a real question. Like, why? What do you guys do? You think we need Tonys this year? Should they have skipped a year? What what what? They well, should have well, skipped let, a year. Well, well, well. But can we just say they, what the Tonys this year were given out uh, in twenty five categories? Uh, one was eliminated for best revival musical because there is no revival musical. Uh, eligible and uh, the uh the 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 usual cutoff date is the end of april but since sh shows closed on march 12th the cutoff date for for entry was february 19th which meant that some of the most interesting shows of the season well, not only had to cancel their runs but uh weren't uh, running long enough to have tony voters see all their uh, to come in and see the show, like the West Side Story revival, like Girl from the North Country, not to mention musicals like Six, uh, which mm -hmm. certainly, and uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, which didn't even get started, uh, basically. Um, so uh, they still had the Tony nominations for everyone who hasn't uh, followed along. And they're, they're so paltry in some cases that they had they nominated one person for best actor in a musical. It's like, Aaron you know, Price. it's as if he's running in a Democratic district in Brooklyn for Congress. <laughs> I mean, there's no, it's unopposed. It's, you yeah. know, okay. I think they should have, and it's Aaron Tveit in Moulin Rouge. I think they should have him present the award for best actor in a musical to himself. That will complete the hermetically sealed feeling of the yes. of that award. But it's it's ludicrous, silly. The whole thing is silly. Yeah, there were only four four out of thirteen. Uh, there were thirteen potential musicals this season, and only four were eligible. Uh, and three are duking it out because the Lightning Thief was complete. They managed right. to not even. I know. I mean, that is just <laughs> such like add insult to injury. Like they could right. not even find some like technical. Uh, uh, it's, the the five nominees for best score. Are all plays? Yeah, that was the most absurd of the categories. I mean, um, you know, come on. Look, what we're seeing is yet another piece of evidence that the fundamental attitude of Broadway producers 
is that they want to pretend that the pandemic is not happening. Mm. And when they do reopen, God knows when they think they can just pick up where they left off. They don't need to be affected by any of the, the myriad uh, complaints, changes, uh, protests, uh, everything that we've all been talking about for the last few months. They just want to put the plug back in the wall and have the music man. And if they think they can do that, and if they think they can get people into the theaters to see that, uh, they're in for some very, very shocking surprises. I, I, I don't think I'm not I'm going to dissent from that view. I did a lot of reporting on this, and I don't think they think they're coming back to the world as it was or, or expect to. I think there's some truth in what I understand what you're saying, Terry, about I think they're mostly thinking that about the uh, the pricing and stuff. I think they want to think we're going to all start paying the same amount of money that we paid uh, before or at least eventually. But I do think there, you know, there is a there are a lot of um, uh, uh, efforts right now underway to, to figure out how to you know make this world work for everybody after uh, the pandemic. Mostly, of course, they're waiting for a vaccine uh, uh, to happen. God knows if that will at this point. But um, the the what I think it is, is really, I think Broadway is looking for any way to stay relevant at a time when nobody is thinking about Broadway, yeah. or at least nobody who is, you know, uh, in our business, for example, is really you know, not writing about Broadway shows. So it does, it is sort of a bridge if you can have, although no, no, there's no network that wants to broadcast the Tonys this there's year. There's no so. date. There's no date, no network. Yeah. There's no, but well, I mean, the argument that comes up the most in favor of having Tonys is, of course, that the, the theater needs this. It's a, it's a kind of sign of of hope that, you know, it's also what, it's a kind of, it's a sign that we're going to get through this. And also there's the, 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 the desire to reward the productions that did open you right, know, for exactly. their work. So there's that attitude sure. saying, well, these guys put themselves out there. I also like the fact that it's rewarding the shows, particularly the musicals, that open in the first half of the season, because the past few years there's been this trend for musicals to just all jam themselves, shoehorn themselves into basically the, pa the, the last four to six weeks of the season. Mm -hmm. So there's this huge pile of right, musicals right. In, in March, April. And so, now, of course, none of them is represented. So no, Moulin Rouge, Jagged Little Pill, and Tina have a clear shot. Right. Peter, you've talked to all these guys. Tell me this. On and off the record. Sure. What do they think is going to happen now that the theater in New York on Broadway has essentially become a tourist trade. Mm -hmm. Do they think the tourists are going to start coming back? Do you think right. they will, if they do, do you think they will want to go to the theater again? What are they expecting? They're not expecting uh, tourists to come back right away. Uh, tourists are now 70% of the, of the market. And, 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 and let's just say Broadway has brought this this dilemma on itself. It has branded yeah. itself as a as a tourist family uh, 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 enterprise occasion. occasion. It has uh, really let the New York market atrophy. Um, they are thinking now, no, that they have to reorient uh, towards a New York metropolitan area <laughs> base. 
And that is going to change radically the expectations for the runs of shows and which shows are coming back first and how many of them are going to do okay. Uh, I don't I don't have a crystal ball. I know that different shows have they all have their own demographic sort of studies and they know how much, you know, some some shows Long-running shows have what's called a 33-33-33, which is 33% of their audience is metropolitan area, 33% is national, and 33% is international. Some shows like Phantom, for example, and Chicago, the long war horses, are, are much higher levels of foreign uh, intensive uh, audiences. So it goes show by show. Uh, there is some recognition, and I don't know at what point it kicks in in terms of what we see. What actually gets um, uh, what shows we see uh, uh, in terms of how they think about the New York market? Clearly, we've got to think about new, newness, novelty, uh, much more so than um, uh, than some of the things that have been around for a long time. And also, what you're going to see, I think, is um, some effort, some pressure brought to bear on shows that were not doing that well before. Uh, COVID struck to 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 kind of ask them once they get their insurance money cleared, uh, recovered to to mm. sort of you know take take their uh, bags and pack pack their bags and go. Whether that's going to happen, there's no indication yet uh, how that's going to happen, and it's really going to be up to the theater owners, the big three theater owners, I think, to figure out who they're going to offer their spaces to. You know, you remind me when I first came to New York. Um, in the early eighties, um, there were still water cooler plays, plays that you felt, you mm -hmm. know, the six degrees of separation is, is maybe the best remembered of them that people in New York who were interested in, in the cultural conversation felt that they had to see, they had to see the coast of utopia. Um, uh, this was just, this is what you did. Mm. And now, um, they don't exist. I mean, I guess they felt that they needed to go see Stephen Sondheim shows. But beyond that, uh, the idea of, of a water cooler play that becomes part of the, the cultural conversation, which means that a, a critical mass of New Yorkers have to be seeing it, they don't produce them. They don't yes. exist. I, I actually, I, I think the water cooler play now may be the the Twitter cooler play, and I would say that I would argue that slave play was very much, very much that first right. on Broadway and then on Broadway. Their conversation around that, and incidentally, the plays in the Tony nominations did not bad at all because there's more plays in the first half of the season, so there were ten eligible new plays, which is, I mean, that's real well, competition. Also, there's some real big ones that dominate. Yeah, but that's also play, but... that's also because the nonprofit theaters, you know, right. act as you know regional theaters with a with a rotating schedule of like eight week runs. Slave yeah. play, we should point out, got twelve Tony nominations, the most of any play in history, topping Angels in America by one, which had eleven. So you know, part of that is because of the um, the competition was a little bit uh, truncated. But I agree with Elizabeth on this. I think that I think they could bring back slave play now if it wins. Like, so let's say it wins a Tony that actually probably has enough sort of uh, galvanic kind of uh, uh, talking uh, point strength among people to say reasons they might go see it, especially uh, in the aftermath of Black Lives Matter. 
uh, for it to be revi- revived, to be continued, or it would actually be revived because it closed, didn't it? Yeah, it actually it closed. Revival, yeah. yeah. So I, but you know, actually, that's another thing about these Tonys. At this point, only three of the shows that are nominated even have plans to come back. And as we all know, the Tonys were really a marketing tool for the shows, sure. you know, and that's why the the winners were always in the second half of the season because they were still open and you could say, come to the Tony winning show. So it'll be interesting to see if, if that has a, uh, a different effect now, Stim- re-stimulates uh, interest in a couple of pieces. It's interesting that you were bringing up the, uh, the landlords and how they're going to choose who goes into their, their theaters now, because I think, uh, I, I anticipate that we're going to see less very, very long-term tenants like mm. Phantom and uh, Wicked and Good. You know, all those, you know, Book of Mormon. And I, I I imagine we would see a faster turnover of plays and maybe plays coming back, uh, you know, in some cases. Something like more like the theater ecology was in the 40s and 50s and 60s. Um, Right. When you when you could open an important play like Who's Afraid of Virginia Cold on Broadway. Right. And then it becomes one of the ultimate water cooler plays. Mm-hmm. Um, and, right. and 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 obviously that that obviates the needs for t- need for tourists because tourists come, yeah. they book their trip 8 months in advance thinking they're going to see the show that's been running for 3 years, the safe pick that they know is going to be there and blah blah blah. But if that those things don't exist, that's a whole other ecosystem that gets created. It's almost mm-hmm. like re- it's like reintroducing wolves to the wilderness. Do you know what I mean? They <laughs> they create a whole other. So if you if you start planting plays that run for six months, eight months, and that becomes a mainstay, the mainstay, uh, you force out the the need or the or the, the that whole other audience that was coming for you know to see uh, every uh, Disney musical that opened. And there was a time when you could have both. Uh, Virginia Woolf and My Fair Lady were running on Broadway at the same time. Uh, and because it wasn't a, a tourist-driven ecology, everybody obviously wanted to see My Fair Lady. It was the ultimate hot ticket of that generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it wasn't... You didn't have five shows like that. That was right. the difference. Right, right, right. I think one issue they're going, that needs to be solved is the uh, incredibly high price of putting That's up a key. show on Broadway. So That's they stay the a long time because they need to stay long right. to recoup the investment. If you have a 10, 15 million, 20, whatever, million dollar investment, it's going to take a long time to recoup that. So that's pushing people into those super long runs. As long as this is not solved, I don't know that, I, I don't know, like we were kind of, you know, we're stuck in a, in a circle that I, I, I don't know how that's going to be solved. Like that's a really huge part of the equation, I think. Yeah. And I think some contracts may need to be renegoti- renegotiated. Um, we will see how. So, okay. I don't think I don't think we're going to have a Tony predictions episode this year. I, have I a don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I sorry. I did not even hit the lightning thief. <laughs> I don't even remember the lightning thief. I didn't even see the lightning thief. I must have seen it, but I don't remember it. Yes, well, no, I think I think you would remember it if you had seen it. I'm I'm gonna oh, I'm gonna venture surprised. you would. Oh, should we move on to things we actually have seen? And liked yes. or not? Yes, yeah. and liked. Okay, I, I I'm I'm gonna go first because I saw something I very much enjoyed um on YouTube. Um, it's a, it's a new play, uh, 
by a woman I'd never heard of uh, named Natalie Margolin. It's called The Party Hop. And it's presented by a dramatic play service, which is one of the licensing um, companies. Uh, and it's, well, okay, I have to admit that what caught my eye originally was the cast, because the cast is crazy. Uh, it's it's uh, It's got uh, Bini Feldstein, uh, Ayua Debiri, mm. uh, Catherine Cohen, Ben Platt, Ashley Park, Kidlin Devers, a great cast. And it's 45 minutes long, something like that. And it's very, very funny. It's the rare comedy that really works. I was laughing watching it on my own with my headphones first. And then I watched it on my TV. I watched it twice. Um, and it's the first, well, as far as I know, the first Zoom play that is also a bad Zoom. And the mm. way Zoom changes how we socialize. And it's about these three college students who are doing remote college because the play takes place three years into quarantine <laughs> and it's it's basically their night on the town and they do what collections do they go from one party to another except all the parties are on zoom so they're all in their own apartments and it's incredibly funny um and there's you know references like there's a, a new transfer student and uh, one of the um College girl says, uh, there are three women. One of them says, oh, my God, you know, she doesn't know her. And she's like, oh, my God, is she one of those, like, background changers? Like, now we have this new type of person, this serial <laughs> background changer. And, of course, that new student is. Right, 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 right. right. I know exactly what that means. It, yeah. Anyway, it's very funny, very well acted, as you can imagine. And um, it's on YouTube until early November. I think they, ex they extended the run. I'm putting all this in uh, air, air quotation marks. This is really interesting. The DPS has produced, I mean, they publish plays. They're licensing. So they've gotten into into the production end. Yeah, that, I don't know. I mean, it's presented. I'm not sure what that means in terms of, but, but I mean, clearly, like the thing is like now the, the, the money, you know, the, the, the cost of creating, putting on like a, basically a reading like this is fairly low, I would imagine. Um, hopefully people will get paid at some point. I, don't, I mean, some of them maybe already. Um, but I felt that was a very encouraging use of the medium uh, and a very good new voice, theatrical voice. And I could imagine this actually being done live. I'm not sure how, but I think it could work. And it could. And it was the real play when I thought I could see more of this. Like yeah. it was 45 minutes, and I could have could have gone for an hour or more. And I, it was very entertaining. You have so yes, yeah, it's my called the party for sure. The party hop. And uh, Terry, what, uh, what have you well, seen? Well, I said at the top of the show that I was finding out about companies of whose existence I had previously been unaware. I, I saw a, a, an online article in from American Theater about a company in Dallas called Undermain Theater, uh, which has been around since 1984 uh, and is quite highly respected, but I'd never heard of them. They are doing one of Connor McPherson's monologues, St. Nicholas, which is a play about a drama critic who falls in with a vampire. Uh, and it's, it's a ghost story, one of his, his light and dark, creepy stories. But not only is the production as far as you talk about sound design, sound design, lighting design, sets, this looks like the very best of what the Irish rep is doing. It's one of the best looking, mm. best looking shows I've seen. Here is something else interesting about it. It is being performed by the company's producing artistic director, Bruce DuBose, who is a very good actor and gives a very good performance. But the key here is he's management. He's not equity. So 
the relevant rules don't apply. Uh, and I, this is something else I'm hearing from companies, regional companies that want to, uh, to broadcast shows is that when their artistic directors are also actors of, of quality with experience, they're thinking that's the kind of show they're going to do. Mm. Well, this is a knockout. And as soon as it's possible to travel, I'm going back to undermain theater because if this is representative of the quality of their work, this has got to go on my top of my list. But it's a wonderful, wonderful monologue. Connor McPherson is so good at that. And uh, Mr. DuBose just he acts like an actor. Mm. And it is a, a gorgeous looking piece of work. Mm. Um, and again, it is a reminder that a show seen on a screen under certain circumstances can feel like a total real experience, especially a monologue, extremely well-designed, extremely well-performed. Mm. And Peter? Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I, th I couldn't... I know uh, you, were, you were completely entranced by, like, uh, Terry's I was, clearest tone. Well, you know, actually, I was thinking about the idea of, like, you know, just of, like, you know, Terry announcing the name of this theater company and suddenly, like, it, it getting on on radars that it wasn't on before. Uh, and that's kind they of broke, glorious. They wrote me this morning and told me they're starting to get hits from all over the country. That's so nice. This I mean, it's, mine, which, which it, ran on the day that we're taping this. That's, show. that's, that's lovely. That's just lovely news. Um, it made me feel very good. Well, you should feel good. And, and, and they should too. Uh, I, I'm going to talk not about one of the live things I saw actually, but I'm going to talk about the work of somebody who has been one of our guests um, Tamala Woodard, if you'll recall, the artistic director oh, yeah. of Working Theater. And she talked about a show of hers called American Dreams, which is now touring the country digitally. Different companies are sponsoring it around the uh, country. Uh, uh, it was sponsored in D.C. recently uh, and is now uh, being sponsored by a company in, uh, that I saw it through it in Salt Lake City. I just I was away during the uh, D.C. run. Anyway, uh, just briefly, American Dreams is is. It's really fun. It's one of those interactive shows I referred to before and uses it very smartly. It's a game show. And the premise is that three immigrants vie for the audience's vote to become one of them will become an American citizen at the end That's of the show. A great idea for a play. It is a great idea. Uh, they and the way they sort of stack the deck. Uh, for each of them is fascinating along the course of the show, which starts off extremely uh, benignly with questions of, like citizenship test questions and ends with a, sec a, sec a segment called the hot seat in which they pull out dossiers on each of the three. One of them is a Pakistani, one is a Palestinian, uh, uh, and one is a Mexican who has lived illegally in this country. And you... Um, you are invested in each of their stories. There were 60 other people who were in the audience for me. It's like a Zoom-style thing. And you see the other people. And, and all through the show, we are given opportunities to weigh in on aspects of what they're saying. Can, you know, And it ends with us voting for one of them. And let me tell you, you know, by the end of the show, by an end of like 90 minutes of this, or 85 minutes, it is really uh, – uh, a, com a, com a difficult decision trying to puzzle out which of these people you're going to let 
in because you know two can't. And of course, the beauty of the show is every all of them should be you know allowed for one yeah. reason. It's ridiculous that we that we have these ridiculous requirements. At least that's how it feels. And it's done by a, a, these actors are based, I think, in New York, most of them. But of course, you can tour a show now from New York all over the country. And um, I just wanted to say that working theater is uh, it was uh, uh, a a really great use of uh, digital uh, uh, theater, and 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 made me think this has a future. This uh, is a this is something that I've seen more too. Uh, this idea of uh, companies from around the country getting together to uh, co-produce or present shows. I think mm-hmm. it's tightening collabor- uh, cooperation between companies in a very very new, and I feel very exciting because, for instance, I I just reviewed uh, a new uh, play by uh, Eve Ensler of the Virginia monologues called That Kindness, uh, but Evans Lonag goes by the name just V. That was hosted by BAM, the Brooklyn Academy of Music, but it was also co-presented and shared among 23 other companies around the country. Um, and mm. we're seeing a lot like American Dreams the same. And there's also, um, you know, uh, Berkeley Rep is doing that audio version of It Can't Happen Here that is also shared by like a dozen or so companies around the country. And I I think th- I find it this, re- this really uh, interesting. I don't know if it's going to mean like a different approach to touring, for instance, in the future mm. mm-hmm. or a different approach to financing. Right. Uh, of just better cooperation between sure. companies. And I, I find this log- great. It's always been logistically different, difficult for regional theaters to do co-pros with each other. And um, uh, maybe this is going to break the ice jam and cause them to think, you know, if we can do it this way, maybe we can do it in the real world when the pandemic is over. I, I really all- hope so. Well, also, it also indicates that, you know, they, they now know the face at the end of the phone. I mean, they don't it's not like they're calling cold to places in yeah. the country they've never talked to before. These are all links that are going to stay. The other thing I was thinking as you were talking, um, uh, uh, Elizabeth, was um, that, you know, this is now what are we seven months into this COVID? Seven months. Look, yes. at, look at the amount of look at we're, if we had a panic that there wouldn't be anything to talk about. Or write about. I know. I mean, it's right? the opposite. It's sort of a you know, it's snowballing as far as I can tell. I mean, snowballing. It's it's what do you call that? Snow. What is that word? I'm uh, anyway. You know, when, when, is that right? Snow. No, when it's when things are like gathering. Uh, you know, snow. You mean like a snowball? <laughs> I'm I'm a little okay. Sorry, I'm losing it a little bit. I mean, something small that yes. gets bigger as it gets yeah, snow. Yeah. Like Are a we snow getting ball? giggly therapy? Well, no, but it's like sometimes a word stops meaning what you think it means in the middle of saying it. Anyway, that's yeah, what happened yeah, to me. Anyway, repeated several times. Yeah, suddenly but evaporates. maybe I'm just I'm I'm a I'm overcome with the magic of theater at the moment. What can I tell you? Uh, you do mean snowballing. Snowballing. Thank you. Um, uh, so anyway, but it is kind of amazing that this there is there you know theater is you know has no shortage of ideas about how to uh make itself uh seen and heard you know back in march when i realized you know i saw my last show the hot winking and suddenly here i am a a fellow's occupation's gone what am i going to do and at that moment people started putting up some uh webcasts but I had, I expected they would run out fairly shortly. And I had this long list of things on YouTube and, you know, 
Hollywood movies that contain members of right, the original right. stage cast like Our Town. Yeah. And I think I've had to use two of them. <laughs> and just right. in the last week, I've, I've added four of streaming webcasts by mm. regional theaters to mm. my schedule. Everybody is getting with the idea now. Very yeah. exciting. Very encouraging. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, uh, it's, it's, I mean, we uh, clearly with something we have to, to, I mean, we don't have a choice, but there's great initiative. And I think it's, there's a kind of democratizing aspect to it that I love right. because right. Yes. yes, now we can watch, you know, production from companies we've never heard of. The, there's a production of a little shop of horrors from like some tiny little company up in Vermont there was a, they had like a huge you know article in the times like that is it's just great to see because mm -hmm. i think also the small companies are very nimble mm -hmm. they're used to doing a lot with very little and it's playing to their advantage right now mm -hmm. i'll tell you something else about co-pros i mean the reason you talk about not knowing the voice on the other end of the phone regional theater directors generally don't have time to go to from chicago to dallas and see what's happening there they're busy uh, they've got their own shows to put up. They might come to New York, but that's about it. But now they can see uh, Syracuse stage. They can see, uh, uh, you know, whatever's going. And uh, and I, who have been yelling for years and years that American theaters become deregionalized and of high quality, now everybody is seeing what I've been talking about all this time, mm. that, that there is the idea of something being Broadway-worthy is condescending and meaningless. These companies are just plain good in their own right, first class. Mm. Uh, and some of them are better than anything we have in New York. So mm. uh, get the word out, put your show on streaming, and the results may astonish you. There is no downside. And terrible watch. I will. Well, uh, I, I think we're snowballing towards the end of another episode. <laughs> I think so. Uh, so, I, I, but it's of course always a delight to uh, talk to the two of you, uh, and yes. to have Erica uh, as our, our our nimble producer. I'm Peter Marks, and you've been listening to Three on the Isle, a podcast from New York about theater in America and the world at large, hosted by American Theater Magazine. I'm Terry Teachout, and our producer is the superhumane Erica Wong. You can follow us on Twitter at 3ontheisle.com, spell it out, and write to us at 3ontheisle at gmail.com. And I'm Elizabeth Vincentelli, and please let us know what other topics you'd like to hear uh, us discuss on uh, future episodes. Please leave us an excellent review or ratings, like five star mm -hmm. or seven or eight, whatever the maximum star rating is, just go for that. Um, feel all the little stars. Us. Oh. <laughs> Uh, on iTunes or Google Play, whatever you use. Um, and thanks again for listening. And we'll be with you again soon. And perhaps even in the flesh. I mean, that, that'll be Peter uh, on the, the, the real aisle and most likely the virtual aisle. <laughs>